The fruit of the Spirit is self-control. We've been looking um, at these character traits that make up the fruit of the Spirit. Um, And we've arrived at the very last one, uh, which is self-control. We've been thinking about love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and uh, now self-control. I came across a great little story about self-control. In the very early days of planes, I don't know if this is a true story, but it made me laugh. In the very early days of planes, there was a stunt pilot who had a small plane, single-engine plane, and there was a minister who wanted to have a ride in his plane. But he was asking if his wife could come as well for free. Bit cheeky. The pilot was a shrewd man. And he said, okay, I'll take you both up for the price of one if you promise, both of you, not to make a single sound during the entire flight. Self-control, you see. If you so much as make a squeak, I'll charge you double. Okay? So the minister gets his wish. Well, they made the deal. They climbed into their seats. Now remember, this guy's a stunt pilot. So he was putting the plane through all kinds of upside downs, looping and loops, diving down to the ground and sweeping back up again. He did his absolute best to make them scream, but he couldn't. Not a peep. They landed and the pilot said, that was amazing. I did stuff there that would make the most calmest, bravest person cry out. And you never said a word. You must have amazing self-control. And the minister said, well, thanks for the ride. And I must admit, there was one moment there where you, you really had me. And the pilot said, what was that? Well, it was really hard to keep quiet when my wife fell out. <laughs> Self-control. <laughs> I thought you'd like that. Self-control. Could you keep quiet if your wife fell out? <laughs> you can see what I'm, I don't know if that's a true story or not. Well, so much for self-control. Well, we've been going through this little group of nine character traits, haven't we? And I think I've, I've found this hard this week, I must confess. I was glad I found a funny story to start with, to be honest. But um, I think this is a really big and difficult subject, and there are so many different angles to it. One of the issues with it, as I've been reflecting on this, is that this trait seems a little bit out of place with all the others. Some of you know that I've got a sore thumb at the moment, and this one stands out like a sore thumb. It does. They all seem to be such positive traits. Love, joy, peace, patience... All these different traits. And then you get to this last one. The fruit of the Spirit is self-control. It's very personal. You wonder whether it's a little bit negative. American writer John Piper said, the very concept of self-control implies a battle between a divided self. It implies a sense that we have desires that ought not to be satisfied but in in fact fought against and controlled. So there's something here about fight and conflict. But I think there is a sense in which it's not out of place because actually all of the other traits depend on this last one. Don't they? 
you can't bear all of the other fruit of these great positive character traits unless with God's help you have this grace of self-control the truth is that man can fly to the moon they can build equipment under Switzerland that smashes subatomic particles into themselves we can paint great paintings we can cure great diseases some people can post great symphonies for those of you like sports some people score great goals but what we find much harder is controlling our own appetites and mastering ourselves is that not true? just some um, I was asking people about this during the week, just doing a bit of research, and uh, you may recognise this character, Tiger Woods, the greatest golfer I think the world's ever seen. I've seen him do things that no other golfer would dream of even attempting. But he couldn't control himself and broke his wife's heart. Just in this past week, Wayne Rooney allegedly played a brilliant first half, was head and shoulders above every other player on the pitch, and then someone gave him a little push and he lost his temper and last out. I was asking my friend Richard this week, what springs to mind when you think of self-control? And he said, well, it's the opposite of the England rugby team, which I thought was interesting. Going to the World Cup finals and they're getting drunk and having dwarf throwing competitions There was a great Tsar of Russia, is that how you say it? Tsar? 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 Called Peter the Great. In a fit of temper, he apparently struck his gardener. And a few days later, the man died. And the great Tsar, Peter the Great, said, I have conquered other nations, but I have not been able to conquer myself. The great Greek philosopher Aristotle said, I count that man braver who overcomes his desires than him who conquers his enemies. For the hardest victory is the victory over self. Perhaps the greatest and the, and the saddest example in the Bible is the story of a man called Samson in the Old Testament. You might know Samson, the man with long hair and big muscles like Popeye. Um, if you read the book of Judges, um, he was to be the protector of Israel. When he was born, God said that he would begin the deliverance of God's people from their enemies, the Philistines. But his great weakness was women. He went to one time and saw a girl he liked and said to his mum and dad, she's hot, get her for me. His mum and dad tried to reason with him and he just kept saying, I'm not listening, she's hot, get her for me. If he wasn't burning with passion, he was burning with anger. He doesn't seem to be a kind of man who was happy unless he was flirting or fighting. After his wife was given to his best man because his father-in-law thought he hated her, he had some liaisons with prostitutes, he later thinks he's found the love of his life in a lady called Delilah, who just tricks him and hands him over to his enemies. He loses his hair, he loses his life, he, he lost his eyes, his dignity. 
He was a man who could kill a lion with his bare hands, but he couldn't control his own lust. It's interesting that the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians chapter 5 is preceded by another set of traits that Paul calls the works of the flesh or human nature, sinful human nature. And when you read the catalogue of sins that Paul refers to there, and then he says, but the fruit of the Spirit is all of these things and self-control. We can see this in almost every area of life, though, can't we? It's not just this sexual thing. The student who drops out of college because he or she never got around to actually picking up a textbook. The person who's so disorganised that they're always late for appointments. The couple who rack up massive debts on credit cards because they're spending more than they're earning. The alcoholic. The addict. The person addicted to porn. The gossip, the lazy, the angry. Whether it's managing our bodies, our minds, our emotions, our time, our wallets, our tongues, or even our social lives, we find it so hard, don't we, to exercise this grace of self-control. It's also true, isn't it, of many Christians who say that they long to grow and mature but who stay at the same level drifting or even going backwards why? possibly, possibly because this grace of self-control is missing so it actually seems that this trait isn't out of place after all it seems that it sticks out like a sore thumb but without this grace of self-control none of the other fruits can grow so we need to get to grips with this, don't we? It's a serious business. Well, it is a big subject. Um, so let's kind of map out where we're going to go. What I want to do is just clear up one negative first. I want to think about what self-control isn't. And then I want to think with you of two very vivid biblical pictures of what self-control is. And then if we've got time... I came across some very helpful practical advice on this subject, which I'll share with you. And then, hopefully, we'll just close by going back to this passage that Joe read in terms of our motivation for self-control. So, there's a lot to get through there. So, let's crack on. First of all, I want to say that self-control is not DIY morality. Um, there is an obvious paradox here when you think about it the fruit of the spirit is self-control that's the paradox isn't it is this spirit control or self-control we like it don't we when it's kind of one or the other is it, what, what is it, is it God's work or is it our work when we hear the word self-control it sounds like self-effort it sounds like Dale White it sounds like pull your socks up and try harder and yet this whole list is described as the fruit of the Spirit. So is it grim determination? Or is it God's Spirit at work? I think there's a challenge here as well for me as a preacher talking about self-control because as a preacher there are always things that I want you to hear but there are some things that I don't, I, I don't want you to hear. I don't, I don't want you to hear the two extremes of just do it 
as if it's like something that you do in your own strength. But neither do I want to fall into a trap of saying, don't worry about it, it doesn't matter. Those two extremes are exactly that, extremes. I don't want you to be like those Christians who maybe do nothing. One of the worst cases, I think, of Christianity in recent years is, is the phrase that someone coined, some bright spark coined this phrase, let go and let God. As if the secret of Christianity is just to relax and let God do everything. What a load of nonsense that is. Christianity isn't sitting on your bum waiting for God to do everything any more than it is trying to do everything to impress God. Actually, Christianity is about trusting God so completely that you get up and strive to be godly because that is what he calls you to and strengthens you to. It isn't a toss-up between God's promise and our effort. Biblically, it's both. It is both. Do you do everything or do you do nothing? Is it all you or all God? Well, of course, on one level, it, it has to be all from God. We wouldn't even want to follow Jesus unless he had done a good work in our hearts first. But the idea in Christianity is one of obeying God with his help. I just wanted to show you a couple of passages. I want to linger on this because this is important. Um... Paul uh, says two other things. <laughs> the reference has got onto the other side there, but in the, in the letter that Paul wrote to the Colossians, chapter 1 and verse 29, Paul says this I labour, struggling. How? With all his energy that so powerfully works in me. You get that balance there? Isn't that beautiful? He isn't sitting on his sponge doing nothing. But he isn't thinking that he has to do it all. What he says is, I strive and struggle and work hard with every fibre of my being. How? Because God works powerfully in me. That's biblical Christianity. He says it again when he writes to the Philippians, chapter 2, verses 12 and 13. Therefore, my dear friends, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Why? For it is God who works in you to will and to do according to his good purpose. So he's, he's urging them to work and strive in their Christian lives. Why? Because God's working in them. So this idea of self-control isn't DIY morality. But it is striving with God's spirit at work in your heart. This self-control isn't an elusive test to pass, but something that God wants to cultivate in you. I do love the story of the man in the Gospels who met Jesus um, on the other side of Lake Galilee. He was the original wild man, completely out of control. It says in Mark that no one could tame him. They even tried chaining him up, but he just broke the chains and just howled in the local cemetery. Cutting himself and scaring the living daylights off anyone who ever went near. He was a man quite literally possessed. And Jesus gets out of a boat and he walks towards him. And the man encounters Christ. Mark says that people came to see 
and they found this same guy sitting there dressed and in his right mind it was so radical the change in the guy scared them more than his previous behaviour had how on earth does that happen self control is not willpower or laziness it is a fruit of the spirit that you need to work hard to cultivate what is this self control then the Greek word it's quite easy to remember I, I, I said to uh, Richard this week I never knew this I looked up what the Greek word is for self control and it's the word egg crate you won't forget that will you the word for self control is the Greek word egg crate that's because the Greek word for strength is kratos and the little part egg means in so what it really means is inner strength inner power self control that's what it really means egg crate so next time you see an egg crate think self control well what are the two biblical pictures that I said we would look at um, here's the first one self control is about purpose so here's the first picture and it's that of an athlete another Greek philosopher Plato warned that our more animalistic traits must be properly controlled otherwise they will produce what he called a feverish state in the soul a city of pigs that's a pretty vivid picture as well in other words if we're not self-controlled our life will look like a pigsty that's really what Plato said it will be disorganised erratic and chaotic but Paul compares the Christian life to being an athlete just turn with me if you've got one of the red church bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 9 1 Corinthians chapter 9 <clears throat> it's on page 1150 if you've got a church bible And um, we'll just look here from verse 24. Paul writes here, Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. That, that phrase there, by the way, strict training, is the same word, egg crate. You could translate that. Everyone who competes in the games is self-controlled. That's really what it means. They do it to get a crown that will not last. But we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Therefore, I do not run like a man running aimlessly. I do not fight or box like a man who's just beaten the air. No, I beat my body and make it my slave so that after I've preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. Paul argues here. He says, I do not run like someone running aimlessly. He lives his life with purpose. He doesn't run like I'm running this lane. No, I'm not. I'm running this lane. No, I'm not. I'm running backwards. 
He doesn't veer, he's, he's running with a single-minded purpose. He's not unprepared. He isn't weighted down. He isn't running down the track with a great big rucksack on his back wearing a suit. He's, 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 a, he's a finely tuned athlete. Athletes have purpose, don't they? Strict training. They have to watch what they eat. They can't afford to be distracted by trivial things if they want to win a gold medal. An athlete will win nothing if they don't have self-control. It's not a hard picture to understand, is it? A Christian will never grow unless they have self-control. Are you living your Christian life like a man who is running aimlessly? This involves thinking about your priorities. It involves determination and a refusal to give up and be put off. It means being single-minded and focused. I think one of the aspects of self-control, we were talking about this in the office this week, so much in our culture, there's a reluctance for people to take responsibility for their own actions. But listen, in this area, whatever anyone else is doing, your spiritual progress is down to you having a clear focus and purpose, isn't it? Forget about everyone else. No one can stop you following Jesus if you want to. You can't grow as a Christian unless you say to yourself, this is my number one priority. You have to be intentional. You have to talk to yourself. And you need to, I need to get a grip. That's what Paul's saying. Are you in control of your life or is your life controlling you? Psychologists say things like stress is related to how out of control we feel. The more out of control we feel we are, the more stress we feel. And that's true. But it's no less true in the Christian life, is it? I'm a lousy Christian, I'm disorganised, I can't do this, I can't do that. Many Christians spend their whole Christian journey feeling guilty and almost they're at the brink of giving up all the time. And yet here, Paul says, self-control is a fruit of the Spirit. Maybe this is a good time for us to talk about things like planning. I've known Christians who have longed to live in their dream house. They search for it, they save their money up, and, but they never stop and ask a question like, is there a good church near that dream house that I can be plugged into and serve God and grow I've known Christians who've lived for their career and they never give a moment's thought to how this affects their Christian life and gospel priorities it is really easy to have self control next week or next year it's also really easy to have self control for someone else I know what they should do. What's really hard is having it ourselves and having it now, isn't it? The second vivid picture, I think, in the Bible, this is a positive picture. The second one is a picture of a city. I don't know if you can see that. It's a broken city. And the reason this picture is useful 
is because this is what it says in Proverbs chapter 25, verse 28. Like a city whose walls are broken down is a man, a woman, who lacks self-control. I think the idea here is not of purpose, but of security. This is a city that's just wide open. The drawbridge is down. The walls are broken. And there's a big sign up saying, come and get us. <laughs> you can kind of picture that. This is really the, about the kind of person who is just wide open to any and every influence. It's a picture of weakness and insecurity. There's an interesting verse in 1 Corinthians where Paul is talking about sex and marriage and he, he links temptation to a lack of self-control. He, 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 he says, if you have no self-control, you'll be easy picking, basically. You need to pull the drawbridge up. You need to kind of build the walls. You need to be secure. So the positive picture of a finely tuned athlete having focus and purpose is one side of self-control, but this picture is about being morally vulnerable. This is about being self-aware, careful, knowing our limits. Do you know the kind of things in your life that will lead you astray? If you do, cut them out. Are you aware of things in your life that will dull your spiritual hunger? If you are, avoid them like the plague. Sometimes the best self-control is to run for it. You remember the story of Joseph in the Old Testament? And he's working in Potiphar's house. Potiphar loves him. He gives him the whole control of the whole house. Potiphar's wife says, Joseph, come to bed with me. Joseph says, how can I do such a thing against my master? And she grabs hold of him and he runs for it. And she has a bit of his coat left and he ends up getting thrown into prison very unfairly well I think these two vivid pictures from the Bible give us a good sense of what self-control is and, and I, I, this is life isn't it I, I'm a parent, I have children I want these things for my kids I want them to have focus and I want them to be secure I want them to have purpose in life and I don't want them to be easy pickings for any Tom, Dick or Harry to deceive them and isn't it encouraging to us that the fruit of the Spirit is self-control? God wants the very best for us, for you, for me. Does your life look like a finely tuned athlete or does it look like a broken down city? See, is this something that you're serious about? Well, I want to... Um, get on to some conclusions in 2 Peter chapter 1 but I want to be practical as well I came across a great summary of advice um, so I'm not claiming this as my own but there's an American writer called John MacArthur who gives uh, seven pieces of advice for someone to practice this issue of self-control and I just thought this was really helpful so I thought I'd share it with you but without claiming credit for me making it up during the week so Self-control is practical, okay? Here's what John, Mar John MacArthur says. He says, first of all, I think very wisely, concentrate on the small. 
sometimes we say to our kids at, at home, clean your room. <laughs> and they go, oh, I'll do it tomorrow. Yeah, some of them are better than this, but well, I can't say that when some of them are here. I'm not telling you who's better than others. They don't want to show favour to them. But John MacArthur says this, start with your room. What a great piece of advice. Don't think about self-control in terms of winning big battles. Start first with little ones. He says when something's out of place, train yourself to put it back where it belongs. I can never find my tools. I need to really listen to that. <laughs> the second thing he says is this, be on time. I've got a challenge here as well. That may not seem very spiritual, but it's important. If you're supposed to be somewhere at a specific time, train yourself to be there on time. Develop the ability to discipline your desires, activities and demands so that you can make time to be on time. third thing he says is, do the hard things first. Procrastination. You know, it's, it's a big word, isn't it? But, and we all do it, don't we? I'll, put, I'll do it tomorrow. I'll do it next week. Sometimes we do all the easy things first and leave the hardest things to the end. John MacArthur says, discipline yourself to face the hard things first. Because doing that will prevent the hardest things being left undone. Number four, he says, organise your life. Plan the use of your time. Don't just react to circumstances in your life. Use a calendar. Make a daily list. If you don't control your time, someone else or something else will control it. If you're going to be self-controlled, don't let other people manage your time for you. Make sure you organise your own life. Um, fifth thing... He says, as the sun comes out and you can't see any of the headings, accept correction. This is part of self-control, isn't it? Correction helps you to be disciplined. Don't avoid criticism or be defensive, but embrace the good advice of sound friends so that you can learn and grow together. Um... MacArthur also says, sixthly, practice self-denial. Sometimes it is good for us to learn to control our feelings by saying no sometimes, isn't it? It isn't wrong uh, to deny ourselves things that are right just for the purpose of mastering ourselves. It's worth saying at that point, actually. I wasn't going to say this. Another danger with this issue is like... Well, one of the issues in the past, can I say this, is I think the Greeks had this idea that life had this duality about it. In other words, the body is really bad and naughty and the spirit is really good and noble. So their idea of self-control was that if you were enjoying yourself, then it must be wrong because the body is always bad. And I think the Bible, people perceive the Bible to be sometimes more negative than it is. The Bible says every good thing has been given to us from God and it's for our enjoyment. And there's no, val there's no inherent value in becoming an ascetic or a stoic 
and just saying, I'm going to be miserable because that somehow pleases God. That isn't pleasing to God. That's just being miserable. And there are people who fall into this trap of history. The Roman Catholic Church said that priests can't get married. Why is that? Because somehow marriage is impure or it's a distraction. I, I've, I've not read up on that, but it's, it's almost like there's a perception there that anything sensual or sexual is dirty. Far from it in the Bible. There are things that are wrong and we should avoid, but God has given things to us to enjoy. Some people like to think, oh, I'll live on bread and water or I'll give away all my money. Or That isn't a good picture of what Christianity is. God has given us things to enjoy, but there are times in life that we should practice self-denial so that those things don't master us, but we master them with God's help. But that's very different to being a stoic. And the last thing, the last thing MacArthur says is welcome responsibility. This is a great message, I think, for our age. When you have an opportunity to do something that needs to be done, volunteer for it. Sometimes I think in life we think, oh, I don't really want to do too much, I don't want to be too committed, I don't want it to be like a millstone. Pipe, um, MacArthur says here, welcome responsibility. That will help you and train you to be self-controlled because it forces you to organise yourself. Maybe sometimes we don't volunteer because we don't want to organise ourselves. Well, I think John MacArthur's advice there is pretty sound and, and good, so I offer that to you humbly and to myself as well. There's a lot I need to learn too in this area. Finally, and we've done this with all these different fruit of the Spirit, self-control is real. That's a waste of time right now, isn't it? Self-control, I think only I can say it, self-control is rooted in Jesus. I want to give you some foundations. And we'll close with this. Three, three things. First of all, Christ is the example. Jesus, I've said to you before, Christianity is not a test to pass. If you want to know what self-control looks like, don't look in the mirror. Look to Jesus. And the truth is, I've said it to you before, many people say seeing is believing. In Christianity, seeing is becoming. When you see the glorious beauty of Christ and you reflect on it and feed on it, you will become like it. That's how Christianity works. Jesus didn't come into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world. And I want to say to you that Christ is the example. He's the hero in the story. He knew his purpose, did he not? Born to die, actually. He was faithful in small things. He was faithful in big things. If ever there was a man who was not like a broken, vulnerable city, it was him. The devil tried to tempt him and had to slink away into the shadows. He had nothing. Jesus is the great example of disciplined, purposeful, focused living. Secondly, Christ gets the glory. 
The difference between sheer willpower, which the world advocates, and this fruit of the Holy Spirit is that in the world's eyes, willpower, you get the credit. The fruit of the Spirit is Christ who gets the glory. It's his work in you that is decisive. Just turn back with me to 2 Peter chapter 1. We'll just, just very briefly, I just want to draw a couple of things and then we're done. Page 1222, I think. 1222. Two. <coughs> Look at what Peter says here. Jai read to us verse 3. This is the glory of the gospel. His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness. Did you hear that? His divine power. Don't just skip over that. That's big power. That's explosive, mighty. That's God's power. His divine power has given us everything. What? Some things? A little bit? No. Everything we need for life and godliness, to our knowledge of him, who called us by his own glory and goodness. Why the dickens did he call us in the first place? Was it because we were self-controlled? No. It's because he is glorious and generous and loves people who make a dog's dinner of things. Isn't that brilliant? His divine power has given us everything we need. He's not waiting for us to come up to scratch. He says, there it all is. I'm, I'm putting my divine resources at your disposal. I've called you, not by your glory and goodness, but because of my glory and goodness. You have empty hands, and I can fill them with my goodness. Through these he has given us his very great and precious promises so that through them you may participate in the divine nature and escape the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. That's self-control in a nutshell. And given what we've been saying this morning, look at the contrast. In verse 5, what does he say? For this very reason, take it easy. Lie back in your hammock. God's done it all. Of course he doesn't say that. Verse 5, for this very reason, make every effort Christianity is not like a path to an easy life no because of God's glorious grace and generosity and kindness we can escape corruption and live a godly life to his praise the gospel is not just about letting you off it is about lifting you up and making you the person that you can be with his help. God is aiming very high, much higher than we are. Why? Because he gets the glory. Who's done it? He's done it. Peter says, for this reason, make every effort. Christianity it's not like God does it all so I can take it easy. It's God does it all so I'm going to hold his hand and I'm going to make every effort to be focused and godly and serious and ruthless 
I'm not going to be flabby and lazy. Why? Because God has called me to this. That isn't willpower, that's grace. Both those things together. John Piper says, Christian, the Christian way of self-control is not just say no. The problem is with the word just. You can't, you don't just say no. You say no in a certain way. You say no by faith in the superior power and pleasure of Christ. It is just as ruthless, it may be just as painful, but the difference between worldly self-control and godly self-control is crucial. Who will get the glory for victory? Will we or will Christ? If we exercise self-control by faith in Christ's superior power, he will get the glory. The final thing I wanted to say, Christ is the example Christ gets the glory. But the final thing is that Christ is the reward. When you think about it, just just think about this with me. Self-control, to a degree, involves restraint rather than excess. But it also has within it, I think, the idea of perseverance as well. How do you keep going when things are hard? So that those two ideas, restraint and endurance, self-control involves both of those, doesn't it? But you know, if you're going to be restrained or persevere, you need hope to feed that self-control. Because no one, no human being can endure anything or deny themselves something unless they believe in something superior. It's impossible. You can try and pull your socks up. But unless you have a superior goal in mind, you won't be able to endure or be restrained. At the end of this passage that Jai read to us, we haven't got time to go through it all, but um, Peter is looking forward. Let's just read these verses together. Verse 5, for this reason make every effort to add to your faith goodness and to goodness knowledge and to knowledge self-control and to self-control perseverance and to perseverance godliness to godliness brotherly kindness to brotherly kindness love. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. But if anyone does not have them he is short-sighted and blind and has forgotten that he's been cleansed from his past sins. Therefore, my brothers, be all the more eager to make your calling and election sure. For if you do these things, you will never fall. And you will receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. Peter knew what it was to fail in a big way. But that verse... It's incredible. Can you put yourself in Peter's shoes? The thing that enables him to be restrained and to endure is because he's looking forward to a day, an amazing, incredible day, when by God's grace he will reach heaven's door 
and the red carpet will be rolled out for him. And there'll be people blowing trumpets and saying, Welcome. Come on in. Peter's looking forward to a day. Well, Paul said the same thing, didn't he? Athletes fight to win a gold medal. You're not running to win a gold medal. You're running to win a gold crown. That is the thing that should feed your sense of hope. To look forward to Christ himself being your reward. When we think about this subject, you know, the challenge for us is not that we can have enough faith to enable us to relax and take it easy, but that God so increases our faith that we can work hard and strive for his glory. Let's aim, shall we? To look with God's help like athletes who are running, not like men running aimlessly, but like men who want to win the prize. And let's not look like a broken down, ramshackle, morally vulnerable city. And who will get the glory? It won't be us because of our willpower. It will be Jesus because of his grace. Amen.